Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. You said you were hyper-focusing on trying to conceive when you were trying for a baby. Can you explain what that looked like? Oh, it, was, it became an obsession. It was a time when that, yeah, that's all I could do. Even work, I couldn't concentrate on it. And I was just delving into every single blog around it, every single bit of research paper. That didn't help the situation because that's not really that sexy, is it? Can hyper-focus help with conceiving a child? Or might it lower the chances of becoming pregnant? Today I sit down with Lottie and we dissect the vital differences between laziness and ADHD burnout. My ADHD, I guess the overwhelm presented from from fairly on as well, actually, the overwhelm. All of those other things, that sort of just tipped me over and I felt, I just felt like it was impossible. I just thought, how do people do this? Was there any tips, any advice, any things that you did that made, that alleviated some of that pressure, that sort of burnout? Why giving herself a nosebleed gave her a 15-minute advantage in exams. And we also find out why a slinky is her ADHD item. Hyperfocus is fascinating. And we I was reflecting on something we said when we had the phone call before we met today. And you said you were hyperfocusing on trying to conceive yeah. when you were trying for a baby. Can you explain what that looked like? Yeah, it felt... Oh, it, was, it became an obsession. Mm. So it felt like every month that we were trying, and don't get me wrong, it, we were actually quite lucky in the grand scheme of things. It wasn't a really long time, but for me, it felt like it was years. I got absolutely obsessed. That's all I could think about. You know, like when you've got a doctor's appointment at four and you cannot think about anything else because you're like, well, I've got a doctor's appointment at four. It's 9am. Like, I've, I've only got like seven hours or whatever that is. Can't do um, anything else. Yeah. And that's what it was like. I was like, well, I can't do that because, you know, I need, I need to get pregnant, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. But it really, really affected my mental health. It, yeah, it was a time when that, yeah, that's all I could do. Even work, I couldn't concentrate on it. And I was just delving into every single blog around it, every single bit of research paper, I got obsessed. And that didn't help the situation because that's not really that sexy, is it? Like when you're trying to conceive me. <laughs> <laughs> so going to my husband, right, so this, 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 like, and it got a bit ridiculous. But And then it actually did happen on the time when we were like, let's take a month off. And Lottie just stopped like obsessing. And then that's actually when it happened, which I think a lot of people say the same. They, had, they think, well, we'll just give it a little break. And we mm. were lucky. Um, but yeah, it, it, it did consume me a lot. What did your partner think of that? 
consuming side of you at the time? Um, I mean, he's very understanding and bless him. I, so I just received the diagnosis um, in sort of the middle of, yeah, well, no, I think around the same time as we were trying. And I think that made a lot of things make sense. And he's very understanding. He's also very driven. He loves to research things. Mm. So he then researched a lot about ADHD and he sort of then understood why that was happening more. But I think he probably was like, chill the hell out. like, <laughs> <laughs> And he'd be like, it's okay. It's just another month. And I'm like, no, but it's like, it was, yeah, a lot. Um, but bless him, he was patient. <laughs> So you got your, you got your diagnosis when you were trying to conceive. Yes, and that was in twenty twenty. Yes, I think that's right. Or twenty twenty one. Was there like a particular moment that made you ha- like have a conversation and think I should go get assessed for ADHD? Was there a, a particular trigger? Yeah, so I'd never thought about it before. The um, a lot of the men on my mum's side of the family have been diagnosed with ADHD, but they presented as a typical naughty boy, mm. very hyperactive, and actually we're pretty certain that my mum and my brother have it now. But it's nothing, something that I didn't really think about because I wasn't naughty. Um, people always described me as like a Labrador, but apart from that, um, but it was when I was actually trained to be a health coach and I was coaching one of my clients and she was telling me about, um, she's actually a friend as well, and she was telling me about how she thinks she's got ADHD, she's going to go through this diagnosis. Um, And I was like, oh, tell me a bit more about that. And she told me, and also coaching definitely wasn't for me because I was just sitting waiting for my turn, like (laughs) coaching is all about listening. I do not require good listening skills. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so when she was saying it, I was like, gosh, this is me. And at the time, I was also having coaching myself. Um, and we, it's sort of like um, you have your mentor. And I was going through and telling her about her story. And I said, yeah, she thinks she's got ADHD. And I said, it really resonated. And, she, and my coach said, well, yeah, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I cannot diagnose you, but you probably have got ADHD. And I was like, wow. And it just sort of blew my mind. And then I obviously went into hyper-focus, got into the TikTok holes mm. and started my process for getting diagnosed which happened about eight months later and when the psychologist said that you you have ADHD in that moment how did you feel I don't I felt a a really big mixture of feelings I felt a bit relieved because suddenly so much made sense um I always felt felt a bit lost like I didn't know myself I didn't understand myself I felt different I also felt quite angry um angry at sort of all the things that could have been different and easier um, if I had known about it when I was younger. Mm. What In what way did you feel different when you were younger? Um, I guess I never really felt like I fit in, but in a way that I always felt like I was really trying really hard, especially in social situations. Like I felt, and I felt embarrassed by that. I felt like I was a try hard. Mm. So I, you know, I had a really lovely group of friends and, but I just felt like I was very conscious of myself and I would, I guess now, like I realized I was sort of trying to mirror them and mask, but I didn't know. So I just thought, why, why am I trying to copy them? And I sort of went in almost like mini obsessions with different people. Like, oh, she's funny. I'll try and be like her. Oh, she's cool. I'll try and be like her. But none of them were me. And I was so confused of like, well, who, who am I? Why don't I have my own 
personality. And that's something that I only stopped feeling probably around, yeah, around diagnosis. Mm. Do you think you're more confident and more able to be your true self now that you have an awareness and you've probably gained a bit of self-awareness and are you more in tune with who you really are? Definitely. I'm 100% more confident, but in a way that I guess people would have always described me as confident because I was quite loud and extroverted, which I still am, but I think I was being extra mm. extroverted to try and mask and make up for things, whereas now I'll quite happily sometimes be quiet. People know me would probably laugh at that, but I, I do. I will quite happily now sit and watch sometimes because I'm not feeling like I have to mm. be a certain way. It's just if I feel that way, great. If yeah, not, yeah. I can chill out a lot more, more. I feel like I understand how my brain works now. And I remember, especially when I first started my job as content creator, I would feel these, you know, you feel the highs high mm. and then the lows low. So I'd have these days when I had like so much energy and I'd be like, oh, I'm on it. Like a day later, I'd be like, I've got the personality of a toenail and I would have nothing to say. So I'd like, what, yeah, like a couple of days I'd be like on stories nonstop, like telling all these things. And then I'd just have nothing to post. And I'd be like, why do you even follow me? Like I'm so boring. And I'd put a lot of pressure on myself with that. And now I just understand that it does sort of come in waves. And I've also got a bit better at managing that. So I won't put all my energy into certain don't mean, like I will, but I've just got better at trying to find a bit of a balance so I don't crash and burn nonstop, um, especially with a job I do because I, and now being a parent, mm. I need to have a decent level of energy to just be able to function. I can't be like in burnout for a week now. Mm. Um, so yeah, I fe feel like I've got that, got that level. I've taken the pressure off myself. Definitely. Like I've got so much better at that. Yeah. I mean, it's so important, isn't it? Because we can go all in. We can overcommit. We can take. We can take on too much. We can actually put like too much energy into a situation. I mean, that sounds like you were doing it with your content creation, and unknowingly, you might be heading towards burnout, and then suddenly mm. you just got no energy. And you almost feel like you're hungover, yeah. or you've just got absolutely nothing left because you've unknowingly just depleted all of your all of your mental resources into a, into a particular like task or activity. Yeah, and then I think when you don't understand, like before my diagnosis, when I didn't understand why my brain was like that, I felt shame around it and I felt lazy and stupid or like, oh, you can't work hard then um, because you just need you need that rest. But now I, I understand it and I just don't give myself a hard time for it because that uses up so much energy mm. as well, right, when we're beating ourselves up. And the hard thing is, is that it can look like laziness mm. because we can often get overwhelmed in those phases of burnout and that can manifest into us just lying on the sofa doom scrolling mm. social media whatever that looks like because we're just so depleted yeah and to a partner to a friend to a family member that can look like laziness yeah and, and then i think for me i so didn't want people to think i was lazy all my life so i overcompensated and tried to make sure that everybody knew I was really busy. <laughs> like, and I still do it now. You know, like, if you're quiet, upstairs, says you're sitting on your bed and doom scrolling, if my husband walks up, I'm like, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing fuck all that. I am doing something. Like, don't want to be caught out like yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah. Does your husband have an understanding and awareness of, of ADHD? Yeah, he does now probably better than me um, because he actually keeps the information mm. in his brain rather than forgets it. So, <laughs> yeah, he's really good and he'll, 
he's very understanding. He's learned a lot about it. Um, and he, he is, he is really good. So he will, for example, if he needs to tell me something that he knows, he's got more detail than me. So if he knows it's going to be a high detailed situation that he needs to talk to me about, he'll actually bless him. He'll almost ask permission and say, look, I've got something to tell you. You are going to find it boring, but it's going to take up like two minutes of your time. Is that all right for us to go through it? And I'll say yes, or I'll go, do you know what? I actually can't deal with that right now. Mm. Can we just do it in a few hours? And he he understands how to, I guess, manage me as such <laughs> very well. And he always says, I've got a handbook on, on Lottie. I've written a handbook and I sort of know. And he does know how my brain works and sometimes explains it to me as well. Like, mm. this is why you're feeling that way. I do think he, in another life, he would have been a therapist. He's very good, yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds really nice, though, that he has that understanding. And to actually give you like that boundary and to almost say I want to do this with you it's going to take to put that boundary of saying it's going to take two minutes because mm. if you don't do that that can actually cause a lot of uncertainty it could probably speed up that snappiness that might come mm. if you sort of don't know when the finish line is to just have that visualization of how quickly or how long that particular interaction is going to take can be hugely beneficial and I think that's like a really interesting tiny example of how an awareness and communication around ADHD can be so beneficial Definitely, and I guess for him as well, if he was to just go in and tell me, I probably, without wanting or meaning to, would sort of zone out a bit and maybe start scrolling. And then mm. that would be rude, and then I'd feel guilty for that, and he'd feel pissed off that I wasn't paying attention. So that way I think, right, two minutes, focus for two minutes, you can do that. And it's so much better for both of us. Mm. It does work well. With rejection, because when I speak to people, they say in relationships, rejection is a is a big hurdle that they have to mm. get over, and it's, it can be if not spoken about and managed, it can be a big um, annoyance in, in relationships. Is that something you relate to in your marriage? Oh God, yeah. Um, I think I've got better at it. A big part of it because of this job, and I think it makes your you have to have sort of tough skin to <laughs> to do it because there's a lot of assholes online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a lot of lovely people, but yeah, I think. I've definitely suffered with rejection sensitivity all my life and it's been, yeah, something I've had to really try and get better at just to be able to function. Yeah. If someone's listening and they, they've heard of the, the phrase RSD, rejection sensitivity, sen rejection sensitivity dysphoria, but they don't quite know how, how to explain what it is, how would you explain what it feels like when you're, when you're triggered and you get that flare up? For me, it feels like someone has punched me in like just below like the heart, like there. Um, and it's so physical, it sort of takes over my whole being. It's almost not even an emotional response. It's physical and it makes me feel sick and it can last. I remember younger, when I was a teenager, it would last for could be a week. Um, but it really would just be like every fibre of your being feels mm. it. Yeah. So anything you do now, that, now that you have an awareness of it, that alleviates it in any way? Yeah, I guess just taking a taking a moment. Like I now try not to respond to that straight away, and um, because I did, and that would get me into situations that I didn't want to be in. Maybe like, I'm exposing myself too much that then gives me anxiety that I feel embarrassed about. Um, or yeah, so I try and take a moment, and I, I did it some med or quite a lot of meditation in lockdown. I 
don't really do it anymore and I really want to get back into it but I definitely learned like the power of breathing even hypnobirthing when I was pregnant like it really really helps me so I just try and take some deep breaths I know that sounds cheesy but it does really help me just to sort of get myself back in the room and just understand that probably it's not that much of a big deal it's just that is how my brain is wired to feel and I'm going into fight or flight um and I often think back to that you know they say like the reason that we feel anxiety is when you know hundreds of years ago we were going to be eaten by a lion or Mm. something so we need to be on high alert and we need to pay attention to the negatives um and I think back to that and think okay that's why I'm doing it it does make sense but there aren't any lions anymore like you're not going to be eaten um well it's not that likely um so you don't need to be panicking in this way just take a moment think about is there anything helpful coming out of that like can I take a positive away from that and it might be it might be I don't know, Some say you've got some feedback at work that is really hard to take, but actually there may be some truth in that. Mm. So can I take the truth out of that and make it positive? If not, just I need to just try and get through that, but I try and take the positive and then just try and sit with it for a bit before reacting yeah. like a, yeah, like a widow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's brilliant advice and it's so good because we're dysregulated in that moment when mm. you sort of get a um, amygdala hijack is what yeah. I was told it is. And it's literally a, it's a, a takeover of the part of the brain that regulates emotion. Um, so it's best that we don't say stuff mm, yeah. <laughs> or do stuff when we're in that hijack. Um, because we probably re- like regret saying something nasty to someone that we probably really actually care about. Yeah, or I think I think back to like, as a teenager, like, like boys like that I'd and I'd get like I would I, I was talking to my friend about this the other day who's got ADHD too and I said makes so much sense now I really would get obsessed with that this guy like and I'd actually you know not, he wasn't that great like but in my mind he was like my latest obsession mm. and then when you know it just doesn't work out I remember feeling like so like broken hearted even though we'd maybe been talking for like a week or something and I knew that he was definitely not love for my life he was actually a bit of a dickhead but (laughs) I was so deeply upset by it and it took over and then I remember I'd text like something that actually I think back and I think oh Lottie come on you're that was embarrassing like (laughs) you should be ashamed of yourself like and they probably thought who what is this woman on like but so I think now the the text message said (laughs) oh god no probably like come on maybe we can get married or something very extreme like that (laughs) that's not too bad (laughs) (laughs) no it was probably worse but yeah I remember so I think just taking a breath before you embarrass yourself is something that I've had to learn the hard way (laughs) how important do you think it is for romantic couples especially when there's ADHD in the mix to sort of have compatible love languages yeah, I mean, mine and Ross, my husband's, we have different love languages, but I guess we've spent time understanding what each other's love language is so we can try and like check ourselves mm. and he's better at it than I am, but just being aware of that because they are different. If they were the same, would it be easier? Maybe, but I feel like difference makes it more exciting, maybe. What is your love language? My love language is quality time quality time and what does that look like to you just just having time without our screens without Mm. our phones it could be as simple as sitting on the sofa making dinner I love cooking um it could be I mean date night would be great but it doesn't have to be that now we've got Penny my little girl um my dream sort of weekend would be we went to Greenwich Market the other day I 
absolutely loved it. And we just had some time, all three of us, just going around the market stalls, having food and just being able to chat to each mm. other. I think that's really lovely. So for me, yeah, that's the biggest one. What's his love language? His is, he says his is acts of service. I think it's a bit of words of affirmation as well, <laughs> but we'll go with acts of service. So just to know if I went to the shop um, and... I mean, I'd probably come back with loads of random crap. But <laughs> if I came back with a bit that he, you know, he'd said that he liked this ages mm. ago and I came back with it, that would be absolutely like heaven to him. What do you think you would wish that your partner, husband understood about ADHD just broadly? If, if you were to go into a, if, if he didn't have an awareness of it, what do you think something that would be a good thing just to have an, like an understanding of? Um, I mean, like I say, he's very good and he does understand, but I guess the the times when I think I am genuinely really interested in either what he's got to say or what we're doing, but I feel like my brain just isn't allowing me to soak it in or to do whatever it is we're trying to do. Like I do, because I do feel a lot of guilt that I may be not, well, I'm definitely not as present as I'd like to be. Mm. But it's, it's such a barrier. Like, even if, like, it's the most interesting thing in the world, you ever get it and you're just like, I, I can't listen. I'm There's another noise there or there's something going on. And it if it's actually impossible for me to listen to what you're saying right now as much as I want to. And I think that I'd find that, especially with RSD, I'd find that really upsetting if somebody did that to me, if I didn't understand. And mm. he understands, but I think if he ha- doesn't live with it, probably not to the extent that we do. Yeah, no, so relatable. It's it's an issue that I think a lot of us have is you can get so in like you hyper focus on something. Mm. You can be hyper focused on a bit of work, whatever it is, and your partner might just try to interact with you in that moment, but you're you don't want to be inter- interrupted. And yeah. that can come across as rage or sadness. And to the partner, if, if they don't know about ADHD, that can look like you're not interested and mm. you don't love them. Yeah. And in fact, just in that particular moment, you're so into something else but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're not into them yeah it's not another person no it's just like a, a hobby or a new or a new film or a new project yeah. that, and it's just taken up all of your all of your brain yeah you give when i think when you've got adhd you give your everything to that thing in the mm. moment so it's hard to have something left for yeah. the other things that are important in life and when you discovered you were pregnant mm-hmm. how what did that look like the, the, the two of you how did you find out um we well we did a test and we actually did a test the night before and it came through negative but I'd been crying every month that it came through negative and this time I didn't cry and I said I just feel like it's wrong um even though it's like the right time right time ish to test and then the next day I think I've actually got it on video you know because I was recording a reel um and then suddenly I thought I can't actually do this and I said something I went I'm gonna go and I went and got a test um and I said to Ross I'm gonna do one um I did it in the bath oh no I didn't even tell him sorry I did it in the bathroom and then I knocked on his door and he was actually interviewing somebody at the time (laughs) I went have you got a minute he was like no I don't and I thought put on pause I was like have you got a minute for a pregnancy test he was like right okay I do and he came out and it was like so faint but it was it was there and we're just like no absolutely not and he was like right okay this is crazy but also I'm interviewing somebody like I need to go back (laughs) so he went back on this interview I tried to crack on with like filming what I was if I was filming I was like no ran to the shop and I think I spent about 50 pound on tests just to (laughs) double check and most of them did say pregnant and yeah it was I didn't believe it it was Mm. the most surreal moment of my life that it was 
amazing. In terms of like the ADHD and the traits, do you think throughout the pregnancy, particularly in the early phases, some were heightened, some were muted? How did that look like? Yeah, I guess the first trimester... It's hard to know what's ADHD, right? And what's just, it's a massive part of your life being pregnant. It's a massive chapter. So I think that probably a lot of people that are neurotypical would, would act in this way. So it's hard to tell, but I really hyper-focused on it, like for those first few months, especially before 12 weeks, they sort of see as a safe zone. So like when I wasn't really telling as many people, so I was like on the forums and that's all I did. I really struggled to do anything else. And I was actually really quite sick as well. Um, so I was in bed all the time um, so that I had more time to look. But I then found, and I read about it, it's where your estrogen levels change, which is a big part of what impacts your ADHD, right? Um, it is quite common for a lot of women to find that their ADHD settles a bit and actually in the rest of my pregnancy I thought I was going to be really anxious all the time because I've suffered with anxiety I it was the best my mental health has ever been I felt the calmest I've ever felt um and I felt like my ADHD symptoms were actually like almost felt what I imagine it feels to feel normal um, <laughs> yeah so but then afterwards that's when and again I read this and it said that after pregnancy it can really like those hormones obviously change so much mm. and then I felt like maybe it all been stored up and it went bam there you go you've just given birth have it all back um and it sort of hit me <laughs> so after so, so the postpartum phase that was how yeah. how did what did that look like for you yeah I I struggled um with my, my mental health postpartum um I didn't have a great birth and I um, the first few months, I felt kind of okay. So I got diagnosed with PTSD about, about I think, five months postpartum. Um, but the first month or so, I was a lot better mentally than I thought I was. I was sort of really brewing up. I've um, been diagnosed with depression before. And like I say, I've lived with anxiety. Um, and I really thought that I was going to feel that straight away. And I didn't. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, And I felt almost quite euphoric because I didn't feel that. But I had, instead it came as moments, so my sort of flashbacks and the PTSD sort of were just moments that were intense, but I could then push them aside. Mm. So I could su suppress those moments, but then at about four or five months, it sort of really took over. Um, and that's when I sort of, I guess, had that big burnout. I ended up getting diagnosed. I went to therapy. Um and I really struggled. And I think my ADHD, I guess, the overwhelm presented from from fairly on as well, actually, the overwhelm. I felt like if it was just my baby and myself that I had to think about, I'd be okay. But everything else, you know, you have to do the laundry. You have to, I was working straight away. I didn't really go on maternity leave. So, you know, you have a partner all of those other things that sort of just tipped me over and I felt I just felt like it was impossible I just mm. thought how do people do this like it's not it's not physically possible what was the way was there a way through it was there was there any tips any 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 advice any things that you did that made that alleviated some of that 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 pressure that sort of burnout yeah so I guess I mean everyone says accept the help when you're offered it and I really did have to accept that help and I welcomed and almost sort of begged for it and it it, it is what I needed um I also had to just totally stop work which I guess a lot of people 
um, in the UK would would do um, because you'd get maternity leave. But I, I wanted to carry on working. I needed to. Um, but I did just have to totally stop. I had to come. I basically take away as much of the other stuff, like I say, that wasn't just me and Penny and Ross as I could. So I could just focus on getting better. Um, so I came away from social media. I stopped sort of all the baby classes I was filling my days with to try and, I guess, distract myself, um, therapy. And I did end up going on medication, which I think was one of the best decisions that I've mm. ever made. Um, and actually PTSD, because I, I looked it up um, at the time and it's you're four times more likely to have PTSD, be diagnosed with PTSD if you've got ADHD which I think is really interesting and something I thought a lot about in the past few months is how much of that was because I've got ADHD because did my brain almost hyper-focus? So the birth was a trigger of, of mine, but would I have been able to carry on pushing that out um, if I was neurotypical? I, I might not have been, um, but would, would I have been or was it, did my ADHD make me hyper-focus on that more to the point that, I sort of embodied that PTSD. I felt it so physically and it took over every single second of my thought pretty much mm. at that point. It's interesting you got diagnosed with PTSD and I've, I've spoken to a number of doctors and psychologists on the podcast and they've, they've made me aware that the ADHD brain has many similarities if you were mm. to scan it with a patient who's been diagnosed with PTSD because yeah. of the constant shape-shifting, the masking, the constant the anxiety, the the feeling that we're not good enough, always having to adjust to please other people. Maybe we don't do that anymore. Maybe we've learned to be more self-confident, but sort of a lifetime of doing that in our childhood can cause so many micro traumas that yeah. over time that can compound and, and create a brain that's very similar to someone who's who's had a, a singular big trauma. Mm. Um, do, do, you, do you think that you can isolate and think where your PTSD originated from? So I think that was that was around the birth, but I do wonder whether my childhood and I have, I mean, haven't we all, but experienced some, I guess, fairly big traumas in my life that I wonder if they were suppressed mm. and it suddenly all came out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's just sort of, it just went, ah, like I've had enough of masking <laughs> and now you just, this is it. You've just got to deal with your shit. Mm. Um, I do wonder because I do feel like it was a really sort of pinnacle moment and transformative like I don't wouldn't want to go through it but I do feel like some good has come out of it and it's almost like a it sounds so cheesy but almost like a new chapter since I sort of healed from that mm. well you were hyper focusing about conceiving and then that happened you had penny mm -hmm. and then it it is a new chapter I mean do you think there was an element of kind of shifting that hyper-focus from conceiving to now being hyper-focused on, on looking after and bringing up a new human. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. I do wonder, like, I, I, I'm actually obsessed with her. And I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Is that normal? Do we feel like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's just so wonderful. Like, oh, it almost, like, you know, that Lenny, like, where, is it was it Mice and Men? Where it's, oh, yes, so, yeah. like, oh, that's how I feel about Penny. I don't know if that's normal or not. I'm not going to squish her, don't worry. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, she, yeah, I am. Um, but I guess that's a healthy mm. I focus. And I think I have just learnt to, yeah, as we understand more about ADHD in ourselves, I've learned to sort of try and chill with it a little bit more. 
We were chatting off camera, it was fascinating. We were, you were telling me what you thought were the, the main challenges, but also the main positives of being a parent with ADHD. What do you think are the main challenges and, and, and the main positives? Yeah, so when I got diagnosed, we were obviously trying to conceive. And I remember thinking, oh, bloody hell, like, I'm not, I'm going to be a rubbish mum. And I really, I was genuinely concerned that because I would, um, I think I gave that example to you when we we're talking, like, if I couldn't find a shoe or something before we're going out the house, it would really make me spiral. Mm. And I'd be like, oh my God, I can't find the shoe. And I, in my mind, I know I could wear another shoe that I've got a million shoes. <laughs> but it would, I'd be like, no, I need that shoe. And I thought, I can't be like that when we've got a baby. I can't just be flying around, like f- trying to find stuff, turning the house upside down and getting quite angry and upset. That, that just can't happen. And I was really worried how I would be um, when we had our baby. And what's the question again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're, we're speaking about the positives and the biggest, the biggest challenges. Okay, the biggest, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Went on a tangent about shoes, I can remember. Yeah, so I was really worried about that and the overwhelm. And now I've had Penny, I think the negative is, I guess, the overwhelm. I think mm. it's an overwhelming thing for anybody. But when you are very susceptible to overwhelm, it's even more so. Like it just feels like certain tasks are impossible, especially in those early days. I think sort of the first eight nine months it felt you just you know your life's been changed in one of the most mm. dramatic ways possible um that's what I was worried about and that is it did that did impact me so just constantly feeling like I just don't know whether I'm coming or going I can't manage my life I don't know I just don't know how to mm. sort of get through the day um but then I do think that you find your feet you hopefully you have like I was lucky my family are amazing I've got amazing friends that could sort of help um I could at least talk to um but I think once you find your feet and you, it does sort of you find your new normal don't you mm. um so I do think it probably is always going to be more challenging for someone um, with neurodivergence but then I think there's so many positives and the biggest positive I would say is you feel things so deeply and I think very empathetic like sometimes I think I see someone in the room that's upset and I feel their sadness more than they do like I think I make up this story of their life in my mind and I could start crying just thinking of them and they're they're probably having a lovely day like I worked at Pizza Express and this guy used to come in and have a pizza on his own I think back and I think Lottie pull yourself together I used to genuinely cry thinking have lost his wife he's got no family and he's all alone he's probably sitting there chilling thinking i need to get away from them and have a nice <laughs> piece of bike yeah yeah just leave me alone this woman i'm i'm there like you're right you're right but um i think that that's really helpful with penny because i look at her and you know she'll obviously feel things deeply because she can't regulate yet she's 17 months and i think how she's displaying her emotions is probably is how I'm feeling inside, but I've just been trained that you can't actually have a tantrum at 31 years old because like you <laughs> get kicked out of the restaurant. But for her, I now understand. And I think that's, this is why she's feeling this way. Cause I know that I feel like that mm. inside and I can, I think I can just really sort of understand her train of thought. And I mean, she's still young, but try and talk her through that and sort of hopefully guide her to be able to, regulate her emotions in a calming way rather than just no be less you be quiet we don't do this it's like now you're right I understand that you're feeling this way but we this is how we can display it in a way that'll be more beneficial to yourself Mm. 
do you see traits in, in your daughter? Yeah, like, I feel like she is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how early it is to tell whether a baby's got ADHD. I don't know if she has, obviously, but I think she is probably just a typical toddler that obviously has not learned how to process emotions, but I think... It's literally me there. <laughs> yeah. Morning routine. Is it any routine or is it chaos? Uh, do you know what? It has become, I've had to have more of a routine now because there's certain days where I've got childcare and actually I've realised my brain is so good when I do have routine. Um, so it isn't as chaotic as it was when I wasn't, when I didn't have structured days. So I've now got my Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, I have childcare. So I know that I have to get things done. I have to get her out the door at certain times. There's not a choice. Whereas when it was just me, I could procrastinate mm. um, because I'd, I'd have the whole week. But now it's like, no, because I need to be there to pick her up at this time. And I know that if I don't do my work, I won't, you know, essentially won't get won't get paid, won't have anything to, to share. Mm. The, the overwhelm as well, we were discussing earlier when you said that we were talking about some days you just can't get off the sofa and you're mm. completely overwhelmed because you've done too much. Can that happen in parenting? Can you Do you have days when you literally just feel like, like unable to, to support a child? I think for me, it's now the sensory overload that I struggle with. So we're very lucky. Penny is actually a really, I don't know how, but pretty chilled baby. Like bless her, she's good at playing and she's not, like we're lucky that she hasn't had colic or things like that, which I know can, I think that I'd really struggle. Like one of my friends had a colicky baby that was constantly screaming and crying and in pain. And I think I would really, really struggle with that um, because of the noise and the constant. But um, I think, yeah, I still do get sensory overload. So on those days where we haven't got childcare and I'm doing all those lovely things for her, I love it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, my brain is so frazzled because we've been at soft play and there's like colours, there's noises. There's She's obviously wanting to be on me all the time and I don't get a second to have a wee without her. Like when I have a wee, she is literally going knees, knees, which is very <laughs> cute, but also very overstimulating. So it was... On, it was last, was it on Friday, I just had to lock myself into a dark room just for five minutes when she'd gone to bed and just say to Ross that it's not you, you haven't done anything, but I really just need a moment to just sit in silence with my own thoughts and just just take a breath. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of sitting in silence, mm. you, you, uh, you mentioned misphonia to me. Mm. And I find that fascinating. Could you explain what, what misphonia means to you? Yeah, so I don't know the exact definition actually, but it's almost like, like the, it's almost like a very, like a radar of any noise. It just feels, so, you know, like dogs can only hear like a certain mm. frequency. It's like that, like you're you're living in that frequency. So certain sounds and noises feel so loud and consume you, and you focus on them to the point of you can't concentrate on anything else. Um, and when I look back, I definitely had it. As a, when I was younger, which I now know is ADHD, I remember in um, examples, they are my idea of hell because you'd always have that kid that was sniffing. <laughs> oh my gosh, it would make it would make me angry. Mm. I would feel rage, like, and I'd think someone needs to give him a tissue. But it's like I didn't understand how nobody else could hear it, or someone clicking their pen or tapping. And I, this sounds like actually like not okay, but I used to have nosebleeds. Um, quite a lot as a kid and I could easily give myself a nosebleed so I would purposely make my nosebleed so I'd 
go like that, like squeeze my nose together, make myself have a nosebleed so I could be taken out, so I could have a moment of silence, and then I'd take a bit longer, if any teacher's listening to this, <laughs> right, that is why. But, and then they would give me some extra time at the end, so once all the other students had gone, I'd get that 15 minutes that I spent on my nosebleed in silence, and this only clicked a few months ago. I was like, oh my gosh, that's why. I did it because I remember just feeling rage, pure mm. rage. I wanted to shout at them, like, stop sniffing. But obviously you can't do that. That's genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they say we're good problem solvers. And yeah, that's exactly so just what that, up what you My mum then made me get my nose cauterized twice. So it wasn't very helpful at uni, but up until the age of about 16, it worked a treat. <laughs> a misphonia, do you get similar rage and similar reaction to noise as an adult and as a, as a mum? Mm, yeah. Um... As a, I don't know as a mum, I think I've just now just had to embrace their noise constantly like chaos. So I feel like it's not quite as bad now. If there's a lot of noise going on, it's almost better. It's when, um, if we're eating, I have to have music on. I could never sit and eat without music. Like my mum doesn't like to have music on. and So I just wouldn't be able to eat at her house without having it on. Um, but yeah, certainly not... Definitely in pregnancy, that heightened it. And I know a lot of people that don't struggle with misophonia normally when they got pregnant, they have struggled with it. And that was, oh my gosh, Ross had to eat in like another, on another level, level, we've only got two floors, but like <laughs> upstairs. Um, yeah, that was intense. <laughs> and were there any like actual encounters between you and your husband where you, where you sh- shouted at him? For, for making a noise Every or for day. chewing loudly, yeah. Every single day. <laughs> yeah, like, bless him. He would chew, like, so slowly, so motioned, and I'd be like, I can still hear you. Get further away. <laughs> like, at, at some points, we were eating dinner in different rooms. It was ridiculous, and I felt so ridiculous and dramatic. Um, but it was genuinely... I did actually get a pair of those. Are they, like, the loop headphones? Yeah. Earplugs? Yeah, yeah. Obviously lost them, like, two days later, <laughs> so I can't say with it. But I sleep with the um, earplugs in, mm. and in the morning, I'll try and not take them out for a bit um, until Ross tells me, like, You're, I've said this four times, but it's it's heaven when they're in because I just hear everything muted, mm. and it's just it's, Yeah, I've it's tried them. Dream. They're amazing, aren't they? Really good. Yeah, yeah, they're great. <laughs> so that, that, that when you t- told him to chew quieter i guess when you've been with someone for a while you can do that i mean when you were like dating and was, was it an yeah. issue then or i guess you probably couldn't sh- sh- say i guess when i've seen it be an issue it's like uh commuting on the trains like before i don't know i feel like maybe i didn't really have headphones or didn't think to put mm. them in because i didn't really know what it was but yeah if someone was sniffing or sneezing or doing just something I found annoying. I really, really struggle with it when you can't say, and you know that in your mind, I, like when it's happened, I think, God, you're so unreasonable, Lottie. Mm. Like that you could, I could never ask somebody to just stop doing something that is, you know, they're just existing. Like it could be them breathing mm. and it annoys me. I'm not going to say, sorry, do you mind just not breathing, please? But in my mind, I'm like, how dare they breathe? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. But yeah, it's such a, you're just so tuned into that particular sound. Mm. You can't control like the reaction, can you? Like the rage yeah. bubbles up. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd, I've moved carriages plenty. Of, I actually almost did it on the way up here. Mm. Um, but it was a child that was doing absolutely nothing wrong. Mm. Like just they're being quite cute, but in my mind, I was like, just need to, I need to try and focus. I was trying to do something and I had to move. I nearly had to move. And what about if, in the context of parenting, if, if Penny is screaming, crying in the middle of the night, does that have a similar, is there any of that there? Um, 
that is something I really worried about. I remember putting a poll up on in, or a question box on Instagram because, like I say, the breathing I really struggle with. Um, luckily, Ross doesn't snore. Um, but I remember my dad snored to the point like you could flush a train, you could still hear him snore. Like I remember that like in another room. And I remember putting up like, do you find the it sounds awful to ask a question, but do you find the noise of your child breathing <laughs> <laughs> annoying? Um, and so many people put, no, it's fine when it's your child. And but a couple and actually my friend said, Yeah, I do. <laughs> but I think I'm lucky there that actually we ended up co-sleeping and it, I found it relieved anxiety and I love the noise of her breathing so she's allowed to um and even crying at night again I thought that would really annoy me but I don't know if it's I don't know what it is but it's like my instant kicks in and actually mm. the thing that I feel is anxiety like oh, I need to make sure she make her okay so no but if it was like the if she's having a whingy day it is something that I really have to sort of breathe through mm. um because it can be really overstimulating yeah yeah it's weird though, isn't it? It's kind of, they get a free pass because there's a bond, mm. like a motherly daughter bond. Yeah. She's the only one in the world yeah. that's allowed to breathe loudly. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned anxiety there. Do you think, are you, are you generally an anxious person? Um, actually, you know what? I remember when I was like 18, a friend saying to me that she felt anxious. And I remember thinking, that's just worry, isn't it? Like I didn't understand anxiety and I now look back and I think had I never experienced anxiety or did I just not know the label for it but there was a few things that happened in my life and actually I think it was my stepdad died um when I was gosh how old was I about 22 and I think after that was the first time I either felt it or realized that I felt anxiety and then since then I have been I would class myself as a Maybe naturally anxious person, I can feel it quite easily. Mm. I'm now on medication and it's great, but <laughs> <laughs> just feel numb. No, I'm joking, but it definitely helps. Uh, one thing I hear quite a few people, particularly in, in the ADHD community, is they get like health anxiety and they really worry about their own health or the health of others around them, close to them. Do you relate to that at all? No, it's actually, I've got someone close to me that does struggle with it. Um, and I feel for them because I think the only way I can... Um, relate to that is in pregnancy especially the early points when mm. you're sort of you can't feel the baby or you haven't really had many scans yet you're constantly worrying like, oh my gosh are they okay is everything still all right and that was like very anxiety inducing around sort of the baby's health and I can imagine that if you're living with that about yourself or somebody else constantly it would be very consuming but mm. I'm quite lucky that I don't I don't experience that in general mm. What about your trying to balance parenting with your your romantic life with your husband? Yeah, it's it's it is hard because you've always got another little person yeah. there, and you're used to. I mean, we we did everything very quickly. We, I mean, we didn't we sit sat behind each other for four years um, at work, and people were like, oh, did you fancy each other for? No, absolutely not. He said, even in his wedding speech, he said. Yeah, fit but annoying. That was it. <laughs> we did not. We didn't even talk. Um, but um, after that, once we did get together, we moved in within three months. We got engaged. I think within the year, um, married nine months after that, um, and then a, a little while before we had Penny. But um, we'd always been quite, I guess, spontaneous, and it was quite intense romantic and amazing and now it's obviously very different dynamics and it mm. is it is hard to balance because you know you can't we used to love going out for meals and actually we do still with penny 
and but it's different isn't it it's not it's not the romantic love that you're displaying all the time it's the the family unit which for me is i absolutely adore it i just mm. think it's an incredibly different type of intensity um but it you do still i think it's is still important for me and him definitely to be able to try and get in those even if it's like a, a minute of like romance like you know a little bum bum slap or something like, <laughs> whatever it may be but a little a moment once she's gone to bed to be able to talk about our days mm. um I think is really important, but it's hard. It's hard to find it, especially when you're both probably overwhelmed, overstimulated. Mm. And sometimes we're like, whoa, that day was a whirlwind. Like, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's naturally transitioned into something like incredibly beautiful. Like it's from two to three and, and now you're enjoying the next chapter together as, as, a, as, a, as a trio. Yeah. Um, and really embracing everything that comes with that. Yeah, I think that's a big part of, I think... I even found that about, I wonder if the fact that we didn't get pregnant straight away, did that make me feel even more grateful um, when it did happen? Um, and then the fact that I did really struggle with my mental health postpartum now, and I've said this to quite a few people I've spoken to about it, but and it sounds ridiculous, but genuinely things feel euphoric just when they're sort of just normal, like a moment of us just sitting playing with Penny or me taking her to the park genuinely I just think this is the best moment of my entire life and I think I wonder if that's because it's such a contrast to those first how I felt the first six months where I genuinely thought I don't know how I can carry on mm. to now being able to just feel be present in this moment without that feeling of dread and depression and fear it, feel, it feels genuinely euphoric. Mm. I asked my community, um, I was speaking to a, a mother with ADHD today, and it was actually quite disheartening. I was sort of flooded with, with messages and questions saying people were really, really struggling. Mm. Parenting with ADHD, they found it incredibly hard, really needed a lifeline, overwhelmed, anxious. Do you have any tips, like broad stroke tips for for a, a parent who has ADHD and they're in the early stages of, of bringing up a child and they're overwhelmed, finding it all a bit too much. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, I think maybe um a good one and it's actually a friend um neurotypical friend she's a therapist though so she's great um she gave me this idea and it was about trying to find a little pocket of time to just sit in quiet or whatever it is even if it is doom scrolling whatever it may be that you need where you're not being touched or nobody's talking to you and 
we actually do it. So every morning, even if it's five minutes, um, so I'll, I'll go and get Penny. I'll have her in the bed until we're sort of ready to get up because she wakes up at silly o'clock in the morning. Um, but then Ross will take her downstairs and whether it's sort of give her some breakfast or whatever, and I'll just stay in bed. And it sounds awful because I obviously love my days with her, but actually that's one of my favourite times of the day is just having silence um and usually I'll try not to even plan my day it's just having silence and yeah like I say sometimes I'll set an alarm for seven minutes because I know that I need to get up and take her somewhere but Mm. I feel like that has really really changed changed our days and my mental health in a really positive way Mm. so I think just trying to find snippets of that I get it's harder to do for in certain situations but if you can even find five minutes um or if I can, getting out for a run. That's always been the only time uh, my mind is quiet. And I'm just starting to get back into that. And it helps me massive amounts. Mm. That's super useful. Do you think there's also, do you think there's, do you think it's useful to try and if you can remove some of the shame and, and really accept that your web method of doing stuff might not meet the, the, the standards that are expected of a neurotypical person. And actually it might be chaos sometimes and it might be disorganized, but you'll get it done and to maybe not hold yourself to the standards that you think parenting should be because actually it looks different to everyone and for a neurodivergent person the process might be different and and that's okay yeah definitely I think one thing that came to mind as you were saying that was I remember thinking I'm never gonna let my daughter have a screen like look at watch the telly until she's a certain age and there's a lot of shame around that. And I see it on Instagram all the time that people are sharing hacks and it involves a screen and all the comments are like, you should not, they should not be looking at a screen. But I think probably even more so when you're neurodivergent, but you know, even neurotypical people, it's overwhelming to have a baby. It's, it's intense. But I just think actually we, you know, hundreds of years ago, whenever it was, we had a village to help look after this little human like Mm. usually it'd be the women that would we wouldn't have jobs and i'm not saying i want to go back to that time but we'd have loads of help and now we're living in an age where it's not where it's totally different it's so fast-paced a lot of us are going back to work thinking about work having to do a million things and we're bringing someone up usually without our partner there for a big chunk of it so we have to create our village in different ways and if miss rachel on telly can be take the place of auntie ruth who would have been there however many years ago then that's what I'm going to do. If mm. if she needs, and I'm not going to plonk her there in front of the telly all day, but if she needs, if she and I, more, I say, if I need that five minutes of just being able to gather my thoughts, I'm not going to feel shame for putting her in front of something that, as well, if I choose the right programme, it's educational. Um, and I think accepting that, because at the first time I did it, I thought I am the worst parent in the world. And I think that's part of my village and I'm going to do it if people judge me for it that's fine. But I know that it's the best thing for me to do for her as well, because otherwise I can't be the best mum that I can be if I'm constantly in overwhelm without getting a second to Mm. do one, even make her lunch or something like that. Super useful. And it's the modern day assistant, isn't it? The iPad or the the TV just takes that attention, uh, occupies the child's mind. Yeah. And there's so many good shows now. They're not watching like mindless (laughs) things. There's like this woman, sometimes Penny does something. I think, swear I didn't teach you that and then I might hear like oh right okay it's Miss Rachel or <laughs> maybe she's some kid but yeah I think that there's now things programs mm. there that are absolutely brilliant for them so but there is still a lot of shame attached to things like that that we can use in our toolkit mm. which is say, seen as lazy parenting when actually I think especially for someone with ADHD it's 
an absolutely essential tool. Yeah, no, absolutely. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's something, the optics from the outside, it might look like laziness or mm. it might look like whatever it looks like. But if it works for us, right, then yeah. it's, it's working and it's good and we should embrace that. Definitely. So anything else you do to look after your own mental health? Because it sounds like that's paramount in being a parent, whether you have ADHD or not. But particularly in this case is l- looking after yourself and making sure that you are the best version of yourself therefore able to be the best parent do you have any other self-care routines things that you do to enable that you're in the best headspace yeah i guess there's loads of little things that i try and do now like even waking up and taking my probiotics my vitamins things like that 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 make me feel a little bit more like i've got a routine in my life together even when it's (laughs) actually chaos um getting outside like i say is a massive one journaling that definitely has helped me through like the darker days I've had just because when your brain's just there's a million thoughts going on just getting some of it in paper out onto paper Mm. just really helps me sort of rationalize or think whoa you are not okay um (laughs) (laughs) therapy has been incredible for me I've had therapy maybe three times like since of three times um and that's really helpful and just talking I guess I'm lucky that I've got my platform that I've created online because there are a lot of things and I'm, I'm pretty open. There are a lot of things I will share with my community and I've got a really lovely community around me of women that have been through very similar things and they can offer advice. And I think, you know, there's a lot of bad things about social media, but there's also so many positives. And I think there's not many people that can say they've got a group of that many women that can offer different shared experiences and, you feel even if it's just feeling validated like you're not the only one because often you think i'm not okay like why everybody else seems to be but actually other people are probably masking it or putting on a front because they feel the same Mm. such good advice because when you see the parents dropping off the kids at school at work you're probably going to see a a, a version that they're putting on you're not going to see what's going on behind the scenes when they're really struggling overwhelmed on the sofa so such good advice to find your community, whether that's in person, meetings, face-to-face, yeah, social like the media. baby groups were, I actually was so lucky and went to a baby group and there was, there was, I think, nine of us and they're all women that are just incredible. And it was actually one of the women that I think I went to a dance class and I just sort of was crying as I was packing up my bag and she noticed and I started speaking to her and she's now such a close friend and she told me that she suffered with postpartum depression and that she's on medication and I was really struggling to decide whether I wanted to go on medication at the time and she taught me through it and she was the one that made me realize right okay I'm going to give this a go and it was life-changing so just those sort of unexpected moments where you share and open up together can probably save your life yeah at least change it Mm. for the positive yeah definitely there doesn't I think it's so important to know that there doesn't have to be a solution to everything. There isn't a fix for everything. And actually just finding out that you're not alone and you're not the only person going through something, mm. that can be so like helpful. Oh, yeah, so definitely. Therapeutic. Something Russ always says to me is like, do you want the solution or do you want me to just, do you want me to fix it or do you want me to just listen to you? Mm. And sometimes yeah. I will be like, just deal with all my shit. <laughs> but sometimes I'll be like, no, just let me share it all with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lottie, fascinated to find out about this slinky I ask all my guests <laughs> an item that most represents ADHD in their life, and yours was a slinky. 
Yeah. So I'm going to pass this to you and ask you to explain why you said a slinky. Yeah. Um, so I think what I was thinking, it, it sprung to mind, it has sprung to mind. So I did that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't planned. Very good. You <laughs> saved, saved that for today, didn't you? <laughs> Honestly, didn't. Um, best joke ever. Um, but yeah, it came to my mind because I was trying to think of something that I've always felt very extreme. I've always said, like, I feel things so deeply, like, when I'm happy, I feel like the happiest person in the world. And when I'm sad, I feel like the saddest person in the world. And I was trying to think of something that really was quite extreme, like springing back. And I thought of a slinky, like it can stretch really far out and then go really far inwards. And how I you, I kind of want it to sit, like you can't see this because it's a podcast, but like sit in between. I'm trying to find that balance now, um, but it is very extreme. So look at that. Yeah. That's like me. <laughs> Um, yeah, love it. No, it does make sense. You know, we are very extreme. We're all, all or nothing. And I think when we do feel an emotion, whether that's sadness, happiness, euphoria, whatever end it is, we hyper-focus on that. Mm. And it, because of that, it can be actually a lot more intense and magnified and extreme than, than other people do feel it. And I actually think that's a really good representation of, of that description. Yeah, I think it's a feeling of feeling too much mm. or not enough is yeah. what I've always felt yeah. um, until recently. And yeah, I feel like... Slinky represents yeah. that. <laughs> I will never look at a slinky the same way again. <laughs> I asked my community to send me a woe, and it goes in the washing machine, the washing machine of woes. Love it. Um, I read it out and see if there's some relatability and advice. Yeah. Um, this week, someone said, when my child parenting one right okay <laughs> when my child is experiencing big feelings or challenging situations they look to me for guidance and protection but with my adhd i have emotional dysregulation it's tough sometimes for me to be consistently present and focused enough to support my child do you relate to the concept of that woe yeah, so Penny's 17 months. So I guess she's only just starting to present the sort of toddler big feelings that I'm guessing this person's probably a bit further in than me. So, I mean, I definitely don't really have any advice because I'm going to be asking that question soon. <laughs> but she is, there are moments where I think, oh gosh, she's getting so angry because she doesn't know. She's getting frustrated maybe that, you know, she can't quite get something or I'm not giving something to her that she wants or that she can communicate. Um guess for me, like I, like I said before, it's like feeling that empathy and trying to understand where she is coming from. But that is really, really hard when in your mind you're like, you can't, you can't think because that noise is intense and you, it's like you can't get to that part of your brain. So it's really, really difficult and you mm. can't just step away if there's nobody else there. You can't just leave them in the room usually. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be a really difficult and interesting one mm. to navigate. There's, you know, some accounts that I follow online that talk through it, but I think they are neurotypical. So it's like, how do I apply that as a neurodivergent um, parent? I think it, I think it's going to be a challenge because they feel big feelings, but you feel big feelings mm. too, right? But in a way, I think that gives you a superpower because you understand them more. Because like I said, I can really see herself sorry, see myself in her and think that is probably how I'd be acting if mm. I wasn't taught that, you know, it's not it's not really okay to act that way in that I'm finding helpful so far, but we'll see how that, <laughs> how that goes. Super useful. Do you think you'll have a conversation when 
with with Penny and about neurodiversity when she's at the age to understand? Definitely. Yeah, I think it's something we talk about in our house all the time. And actually, even before I, um, I was diagnosed, like I say, my husband is very interested in, I guess, human psychology. Mm. And it's something we've already always spoken about. There was this test we both worked together and it's called predictive in- index. I don't know if you've ever, it's like, there's one called Thomas test. I don't know if you've ever done them. And it, even like it tells you your different personality uh, type and how you maybe act in certain situations, mm. whether you're, there's like yellow, blue, whether you're an extrovert, etc. And we we'll always say, oh, like we've always said, oh, we've done the tests and looked at the results, that this is why we communicate different. Our communication styles are very different, but it's been really helpful to have that open conversation. We, I have someone that works with me now, and we're starting to talk about that, and like, right, you may find me annoying because I do this. Please do say, do you know what, Lottie? You're not getting to the point, and it's really confusing, because at the end of the day, you need to do the work I'm setting, so I need mm. to be told, and I get that. So I think we we will have those open conversations anyway. And I think that's really important. And I never want her to feel like she shouldn't be acting a certain way or she should be keeping it inside, which is how I felt when I was younger because I didn't understand and just thought you're going to be a weirdo if you Mm. do act this way masking, right? So yeah, 100% is something that I really want to have open conversation and say, the reason why mummy's feeling this is because of that. The reason why you're feeling that way, you know, we all all feel it and present things differently. Mm. Super useful, and just out of my own interest, because I'm I'm thinking about going back to the the woe and the emotional dysregulation, and how that can sometimes show up as as losing your temper or losing your patience and getting irritable. If that happens, and going forward in time, when I've got a child and mm. I lose my temper, do you think it's a good idea to have a conversation with the child if they're old enough to explain? Daddy was dysregulated there. Here's why I shouted at you in that particular moment. So they, so they understand what was going on rather than them just being confused as to why you shouted at them? A hundred percent, yeah. Absolutely. I think that to show that we make mistakes, because then when they feel it right, they can think this this does happen sometimes. I've seen mummy get angry, but I know that she says that it's not how she wanted um, to express that anger. And hopefully I can give her some tips. Like This is how mummy would have wanted to act. I would have actually much rather have taken a deep breath and understood that you weren't doing anything wrong or maybe she was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is how I would have liked to act. But unfortunately, I didn't. Um, so she can understand that. And when she when it happens to her, hopefully apply the tips, the techniques that I would like to address. If not, at least not feel that shame because we are always going to, do something we're always going to mess up right like there's always going to be times i'm 100 percent never going to get it perfect mm. um but i think if we can share those it's not failures but learnings and we try to understand each other better as a team that's only going to make her more mentally healthy and understand herself better whether she's got adhd or not who mm. knows yeah yeah no super useful is there anything else you think that if, if a parent is listening that is looking for some tips, advice, might be good to say to close? Um, I think it is the one that everybody says, but to take that help, I think especially um, neurotypical um, parents, to take that help if it's offered to you. I think back and like I say, I was lucky um, to have, my mum was brilliant, my mother-in-law is amazing, my family and friends. But I even think back and 
if if you could afford to and would would I do it if we had enough I like a part you can get postpartum doulas there's people that do this as a job to just help take away those extra pressures so that may help you know get those meals make make sure you're eating giving you water because they're things that you forget about and especially I was breastfeeding I was I was forgetting to look after myself um so if however that looks for you to get that extra help and don't be ashamed I think I would have thought prior to having penny oh that's just for you know really rich people or people that can't handle it I don't know if I would have had that judgment but actually now I think if I could do that maybe I would because it would make me a a better mum because I'd be able to be able to do the things that I need to do for myself but but more so for penny you know just the essentials like eating Mm, yeah (laughs) Yeah, so take that help however it looks however you can get it Mm. um as much as you can really useful thank you Lottie we have a closing tradition on the podcast where we ask every guest what's the most impulsive thing you've ever done probably something to do with our relationship like i say we moved in so quickly um and my mum's like that's not going to be a good idea you've been dating him for three months we then we actually got burgled and straight away i decided that we needed to buy a house we had no money um but we (laughs) (laughs) we did everything i do is impulsive like um even quitting my job, starting my, what started as a blog, starting that, every, everything. Um, mm. I can't think of one word, one thing, but just live my life impulsively. Yeah. <laughs> I think everything that we end up doing and starts off with an impulsive act uh, seems, seems to be the way. Do you know what, actually? Probably the most impulsive thing was, so I launched something called a tummy diary. I talk a lot about gut health. I've got IBS and actually that's greatly linked to ADHD. And I wanted to create a resource um, for people to, it was in lockdown, so they could, because a lot of people that have um, got health conditions, especially women, we get told to cut out certain food groups. um, And then it can make us obsess over food, fear food, and can trigger or um, heighten eating disorders or disordered eating. So I wanted to combat that. And I decided that I was going to make this diary that helps you track not just your food, but your stress, your sleep, your menstrual cycle, um, all of the different things that can impact our symptoms. And I just decided that. Then I went and self-published it. I wrote it. I learned how to use Illustrator and InDesign. And it was launched within, I don't know, something stupid like six weeks. Like I then had the physical copy. Wow. And we sold like, I think it was 500 in the first day or something mm. like that. And that was a bit ridiculous. I just totally just started working late like till 3am every night to do it and got it done and loved the process. Um, I can put a link to that in the description if people want to... I mean, yeah, sorry, that wasn't even a plug. Jenny <laughs> <laughs> so was a plug, but it was just such a like ridiculous thing that I decided with no... Yeah, I yeah. didn't know what it was going to look like, but I just did it. Just went uh, and then the, and, the, and the momentum it. carried on and then you self-published and, and then... Yeah, t- and then I obviously then moved on to the next thing. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was a very impulsive decision to spend every bit of savings that we had yeah. to publish that and to, like, I had to put all of my... You know, I got my mum, I pitched sales pitch to everyone that I knew to put some money in to get this published. Um, with no idea whether it was going to sell or not, mm. but luckily find out later yeah we'll deal with that at the end don't worry about (laughs) Lottie thank you so much it's been a lot of fun thank you thank you for having me I really appreciate it ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.